Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Sarah Sullivan. She writes about expat life at outlandish.com, including a very charming article about flying with children, which made me never want to have children, but it was so entertaining. <laughs> And another one about the 10 most common troubles that expats face. And I was telling Sarah before we got started that I had a lot of trouble sleeping last night. So if I seem a little off, it's because I stayed up all night long reading her writing. (laughs) So thank you for being here. Yeah, how flattering. You know, anytime. There are worse ways to have insomnia, that's for sure. Why don't you tell us where you are, Sarah? Well, I'm in Habaroni, which is the capital of Botswana in southern Africa. How long have you been there? Um, we have lived here for almost, we're coming on our four-year anniversary in September. So how long have you actually done the whole expat living? Has that been your whole adult life? No, not at all. I didn't actually, well, other than, you know, a couple of childhood experiences and then a semester off in college when I was in England, I didn't really start the expat life until my early 30s when I moved to Pakistan in 2009. And how did you end up doing that? It's like a big dramatic spot to go first. Yeah, it's a, especially that. I mean, I, I always want to say these days Pakistan's so rough, but it's it's been rough for a little while. What happened was I was working on the Obama campaign and I was really fired up to go to D.C. afterwards and get a political job and sort of throw myself into government life. And a friend of mine who was in D.C. at the time said, if you want to do that, come with me to Pakistan. I'm, I'm going to work for USAID there. And that's the cutting edge of politics. Obama's here. Every other year he wants to know what's going on it's the spot where you can really have an impact on governance and diplomacy and what's happening in washington and i thought sure yeah why not let's do that that's great and then that ended up sending you abroad yeah that was a two-year job in pakistan and that's how i started getting into the field of development communications what does development communications mean well, for specifically for the U.S. government, our development agency is USAID, the United States Agency for International Development. It's the part of the, the government where taxpayer, a very, very small percentage of our taxpayer dollars, but some taxpayer dollars nonetheless go to help other populations in places around the world in terms of doing development. And development communications is just the field where we publicize that assistance and that support. And we make sure that both the host country that we're working in, as well as the American people back home, know what's being done with the money and if it's worth spending. It's interesting because you are there working for the U.S. government. Does that mean that you are renting an apartment in downtown Pakistan or in Botswana? Are you like right out in the community or is it sort of like in a base surrounded by other people who worked within the same field? Yeah, it's for development and diplomatic types it's definitely you're more in the city. I will say I'm not a direct diplomat. I work as a U.S. aid contractor, so we're a little bit. We're kind of in between. We're not just a random expat who's thrown into a city to make it on your own, but we also don't are not afforded all of the benefits of a, you know, a direct embassy family where they set up your house and you have a generator and a water tank in case your water runs out and. You know, you have a duty-free shop at the embassy where you can get liquor at a cheaper price. You know, they have all sorts of perks that we don't necessarily get. But we do get some support. Our company will make sure that, you know, they help us with setting up a local bank account. And they help us with a few things. But we can pick whatever house we want to live in. And in both Pakistan and Botswana, I've chosen to live in a you know regular neighborhood in the middle of town. Because that's a little bit more fun. 
Yeah, rather than being isolated. But do you find that you actually do engage with the local people very much or is it hard because you work among expats? Well, in most cases, I work more with locals than with expats. On my both of my projects, there have been a few expats, but we've been greatly outnumbered by local staff. So that's, of course, one of the best ways to make friends is at work. And it's the best way I found to make friends in the countries I've been. I would say it was easier to make local friends in Pakistan. I had a quite a large group of really good local friends, people I'm, I still feel very close to, and we went on vacation together and things like that. Botswana is a little bit different. I think it's because there are a lot of really tight-knit families here. Not that they weren't in Pakistan, but family obligations seem to be a major factor here. Like if you invite locals to your house for a barbecue or a party or dinner or whatever, they're very nice and they appreciate the invitation, but most of the time it feels like they have a baby shower or a wedding shower or their second cousin's birthday and they have to go. You know, they just can't skip it to hang out with some expat who's going to be in and out of, you know, their, in their mind, and it's probably true, is going to be in and out of town in a couple of years. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a problem that I felt when I lived in Rome, too, is that there is a certain number of people, like if they're newer expats, say, locals are kind of a non-option, really, in Italy, because in Rome they were so, so sort of what you're talking about, just had lived there their whole lives and were so in their family groups, and my Italian was so bad. But I did have that problem where people felt like I was temporary and a lot of people didn't want to put in the effort to make yeah. friends with you. Yeah. Which just seems so strange. Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't you want to make friends with me? <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> I know. It's, it's funny because I actually am finally identifying with that because I've been in Botswana for four years and I'm definitely friends with more expats here than I am with locals. And because the average sort of posting here for Americans is two to four years, We've, we're now at the point where we have said, you know, hello and goodbye to everybody at least once. And sometimes we're on, I've been there for the welcome party and then I'm giving their going away party. And I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, the local who's tired of making all these investments in people and then they leave. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kidding on one level. I'm still going to be friends with people. But uh, another long, long-term expat friend of mine here and I were joking and we said, we're going to have a cutoff. If you move to Botswana from now on, from this point on, we just can't be your friend because we're sick of saying goodbye to people. Yeah, and it does make sense. It is kind of heart-wrenching to see people come and go. It's a very transient life, for sure. Yeah, and it takes a while to make a deep friendship with somebody, and so it can feel like you're having the same surface conversation over and over and over again. Yeah, I become really good at just, like, cutting right through the small talk and being like, okay, so what's, what do you really like? Yeah. What's your deep, the deep secrets of your soul? Let's just go there. We, don't have, we only have two years to be friends. Let's not waste any time. Yeah, do you find that people actually go there with you? You know, the, the ones that I'm going to be actual friends with do. Like, it's actually, a, it's a good sort of test. Like, let's... Let's do this. And then some people are really freaked out. Like, that's per that's a really personal question. I'm like, yeah, no worries. It's no problem. Then you realize we're just going to be barbecue friends. And yeah, yeah, that's fine, too. Yeah. I mean, one of the most, re I think it's the most recent article that you wrote, Likens living as an expat in Botswana to um, being at a long camp party or a freshman orientation. Totally. It's such a funny description. Can you explain what you were talking about or what you were meaning? Yeah. So in it, Haberoni is a very small capital city. I mean, they're are less than a million people here. It's a, it's a capital, but it's really small and it's kind of quiet. So you have to sort of make your own fun. So we do. I mean, there are people have parties and beer punk tournaments and Easter egg hunts, and we all dress up and go trick or treating, even though nobody in the neighborhood does that here. And 
I did a Girl Scout cookie and wine tasting and we do essay clubs, which is like a book club, but it's an essay because no one has time to read a whole book. And, you know, just it's one thing after another. Oh, my a friend of mine gave a pig roast where he literally had a hole dug in his yard um, specifically with like, I think it was even cemented in there. It was a major undertaking so that he can roast entire pigs. And then this most recently, recent time they attempted a wild boar. So they actually like roasted an entire, and it was, it was delicious. But you know, it's a two day process and everyone's there. And I'm thinking in what other city would grown men and women be able to even spend two days hanging out, drinking beer, staring at a hole in the ground while a pig roasts? Like this is not normal living. But it is overseas because we don't have family obligations here. All of our families are in, the, in America. We visit them on home leave and on vacation. But when we're here, you know, you have your, your immediate family. But there's a lot more hours in the day where you can just sort of socialize with other expats, with other friends. Yeah, and it's true that being in Africa, I've only traveled to Africa once. I went to Cape Town and to Johannesburg, which is close oh, to where you okay. are. And that flight, Ugh. and granted, I'm from Seattle, and I don't know where you're from in the United States. I'm from California, yeah. Yeah, so it's just as bad. It's the longest flight you could possibly take. Yeah, so, it's terrible. <laughs> I felt. Yeah, it's um, yeah. So, I mean, you are really, really far away from family. You're far. Yeah, and my family, to their credit, did come to visit. They came last summer. My sister and her husband came. My husband's mom has come. My mother-in-law's come twice, actually, although the second time was because we had a baby, so she needed to meet the baby. But she's been she's made that flight twice, you know, and it's just, it's so far. When I start the trip, I think, oh, it's not that bad, you know, but then at the end, the 35 hours later, I just think, this is why I don't travel. This is why we don't have any friends come visit us. It's too long. Yeah. Well, you were telling me before we started that there might be a career change in your future, not necessarily out of the field, but but to a new location. Yeah, we're, we're not really sure. I mean, because you were asking me, like, what's going on, what's on my mind? And yeah, I would say that the biggest, maybe the biggest challenge, as well as the biggest excitement of, of our current expat life is just that we have absolutely no idea what the future holds. I mean, from month to month, we've been living in sort of a state of limbo for a couple of years where we were on a project and it was going to close and then it didn't close and it was extended. And, you know, we never really know. And um, my husband's also in development. He also works for USAID Project. So that's a real balancing act. You know, both of us have to get a job in the same, ideally, you know, the same country at the same time. And that can be really, really difficult. So, yeah, I, I was saying right now, my husband is fielding a job offer for a great job in Washington, D.C., and I'm fielding a job offer for another great job here in Botswana. And, you know, how do you how do you choose that? You flip a coin, like... Does that mean one person is just going to lose out? Is that other person going to be resentful? You know, that's yeah. a major issue, I think, that is faced by, you know, the modern expat couple. If you both work overseas, it can be really hard to figure that, that one out. Yeah. So what kind of discussions are you having to try to sort it out? You know, I think the longer you stay overseas, at least especially for us, um, we have two small kids. We have two kids under five. And... It's so easy to live overseas. I mean, I know that's not people who live in America don't think that. They think, oh, you're so brave. You move, you live in Africa. They're picturing dirt huts and people beating on their chest or something. I think, you know, Africa, Botswana is so it's such an easy place. It's it's fairly safe. You can drink the water right out of the tap. There are shiitake mushrooms at the grocery store. It's definitely not what people think of when they think Africa. And 
There are some things about here that are challenging. Sure, power, water aren't necessarily always reliable. You're very, very far away from your family. It's very hot in the summer. But a lot of things are much easier than life would be in Washington, D.C. And I know this because a lot of my friends who are living here have since moved back. And they're talking about what a shock to the system it is that babysitters are 20 bucks an hour and it's a four-hour minimum. So they've spent $80 before they've even walked out the door for date night. Or they have a 45-minute commute or an hour commute. Nothing in Botswana, nothing in Gaps in Haberoni is farther than 15, 20 minutes away. I mean, it's a small city. Uh, we have great child care because you can afford to live in nanny here. You can afford three living nannies if you want. So you never have to do your own dishes or your own laundry or your own lawn care. I think part of it is we just kind of get daunted by the idea of moving back to to America, especially a big, bustling, rat race city like Washington, D.C. And I love Washington in lots of ways. I've enjoyed living there in the past, and I will there, I'm sure, again. But right now, it just feels exhausting to live in America. So part of us are just thinking, maybe we just stay overseas for a couple more years, at least till the kids are older, you know, till they're in school, till they can be a little bit more independent. Yeah, because it seems like it would be incredibly helpful to have... I don't know, a little bit more leisure time. Yeah. If you're going to have two kids under the age of five, then the, yeah, the hustle bustle of America. Not to mention the fact that, do you find that you are given more time off even though you still work for the U.S. government? As a contractor, I feel like I do work a lot because, you know, you're never guaranteed a job. You have to market yourself for the next job. So I work pretty hard. I mean, I'm working more than eight hours a day, but it's it's also sort of flexible. I'll do some I'll do work at night after the kids go to bed. I'll put an hour or two in or on a quiet weekend afternoon, I'll do some. But I never feel, because I'm not, I don't have to do anything else. My commute is six minutes. I don't ever wash a dish. I don't ever do laundry. I don't ever clean the bathrooms. You know, like I don't have to do all that stuff. When I talk to my friends in D.C. about the weekends and they say, oh, we really miss all the parties and gabs and socializing and barbecues. And I said, well, you're in D.C. Like, I'm sure there's tons of friends there. Why don't you? They said, we're too busy in the weekends. We have to get ready for the week. Like, when are you going to do your laundry if you don't stay home all weekend doing your laundry and doing your grocery shopping and getting ready for the crazy week ahead? So that's the kind of thing that is just a luxury here. We don't have to do that. So we have more time to just kind of spend with the kids and spend with our friends and relax and go out to breakfast or whatever. What is your relationship like with the people that come in and help you out with the laundry and the dishes and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, we have, so we have a, we have a live-in, our live-in nanny, so she's kind of like a nanny housekeeper, and she's been with us since the day we moved to Botswana. I actually hired her before I got here, because I knew I had to start work my first, and I was really nervous about leaving my, at the time, my baby, my, like, moved here with an 11-month-old baby, she's now almost five, so I hired her sight on scene on a recommendation, she's been with us since the day we got here, I mean, she's absolutely a member of the family, when we go to the U.S., we have taken her with us. We have a you know visa for her to come to the U.S. with us. When we go to Cape Town for work, we take her with us. We can't really imagine our life without Patricia, to be honest. Like she's part of the package at this point. And you know, actually, speaking of articles, one of the articles I, I have been wanting to sit down and write, and it's in, it's kind of like fully written in my head, you know, that kind of thing. But I haven't actually taken the time to type it out. I want to write an article about about nannies and about assistance and like having childcare help because in America, you know, no one can afford a nanny unless you're sort of uber wealthy, which I get. But I also want to talk about this thing where in America, there's a, some other hang up. It's not just about money because I see it. I have a ton of, of friends. I see a ton of people who have plenty of money to spend on 
really nice cars, huge houses, beautiful vacations, but they say, well, we don't, we, we don't really, we can't afford childcare. We, we don't, or they almost never do it. You know, they get a babysitter once every two weeks or something. And meanwhile, they're just running themselves ragged. And I don't understand it. I think we have some kind of American complex or shame about outsourcing any childcare, but I actually think it's one of the best things you can do for your kids and the best things you can, one of the best things you can do for yourself. So I want to write that, I want to write that article next, just like basically an apology for having a nanny, but in a way that convinces people that that the more help you have, the better, you know, that the idea that it takes a village, sometimes you have to pay for that village and that's fine if you can afford it. I do hope that people go and visit your website and I'll put a link at our website too, at thebittersweetlife.net because you are a great writer and you have a good way of writing about things like in this mix of humor and profound Mm, thank you that I really am attracted to how are you fitting writing in to all of this yeah that's a good question I always want to spend more time (laughs) than I do I mean I just started sort of a new job a couple months ago new contract and it's been great it's been really interesting doing some work with the embassy here and helping them on the um, celebrations for the Botswana one is turning 50 next month. So we're doing a lot of communications outreach around that. It's been a great, interesting job. I've been learning a ton. It's been fun. But yeah, my writing time ends up getting squeezed out a little bit. I just need to remind myself of how good I have it here in terms of my free time. Like the fact is on a Saturday morning, I can literally kiss the kids by and hold up in a coffee shop for three or four hours. No one is going to miss me. My husband can go mountain biking during the same time. We don't have to negotiate who's going to take the kids for the morning while I can get some writing done because we do have in-house child care help. So I just need to take more advantage of that. Take the time because when and if we do move back to America, I know that's going to dry up sort of overnight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find that writing is your main artistic expression or do you have other things as well? Um, I would say that's that's probably it. I mean, unless you count the impromptu dance parties that I have with my kids after dinner when they, <laughs> when we like bust out the Lady Gaga and sing and jump around the house. I don't, that feels good. I don't know that that's an artistic outlet, but they enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's writing. I, I'm part of this group of some of my best friends from college, and we've been writing every single day for four years. The rule is we have to write at least 10 minutes a day on any topic, but you have to do it every day. And then we post it on a private blog just for the six or seven of us. And that's been interesting because it it's a creative outlet. You can describe your life. You can talk about what's happening. But it's also, it's been this amazing friendship and support system and resource. I mean, these these six women know everything about my life because I write every single day. It's like a diary that you're sharing with other people. And that's been an amazing artistic outlet, but also a way to, to make it work when, you know, you're overseas and you're away from your friends and your family and you still need that support system. Yeah. It sort of goes back to that idea of when you're meeting new people, sort of getting right down to where it's real. It's another way to get really real with people, even if you're not seeing them even once a month, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess I would recommend people if they are going to live, you know, if they are going to move overseas, especially if they're not going to be it plugged into an automatic community like the American diplomatic community to figure out what is the way you're going to, you're going to keep in touch with your friends and family at home. Do you have a method for that? Not just like, Oh, we need to Skype and we need to email more. That's not a method. That's sort of like an idea, but like a real program for that because time goes by and before you know it, it's been a few months and then you feel like there's no point in picking up the phone and calling your friends because they don't have the backstory and they don't know what's been going on with you. It would take too long to catch them up and, 
you can end up feeling really isolated that way because nobody really knows your day to day anymore. Yeah, and you're on a totally different time frame. Like as we're recording, what time is it for you right now? It's about five thirty in the afternoon, in the evening. In Seattle, it's eight thirty in the morning. So right. that's the other thing that I've noticed is just that disconnect too when you're just talking to friends only through Skype. It's either really late yeah. for you, <laughs> really early in the morning for them, or yeah. you're just sort of not on that same wavelength either. It's just one more hurdle to, to cross to get to keep connected. The time zone difference between the West Coast and us, because most of my family lives in California, it is difficult, although at least it's possible. Like after this, I should call them and it's their morning so we could have a chat. The hardest part was when my husband was recently in Ghana for two weeks. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not two weeks, two months doing a USAID short term assignment up there. And that was so hard because it was he was two hours behind so literally because my daughter you know they're very close and she missed him a lot she really wanted to you know where's daddy i want to skype with daddy in the morning when she got up and left for school it'd be like five in the morning his time so too early for him and then by the time he got home from work at five it was already seven her time and she was in bed i mean it was so difficult trying to figure out how to get them lined up on skype and it was really really bothering her that she couldn't talk to daddy every day so i was trying to figure out a way to make that happen and thinking about getting drastic like I'll take the computer to her school and you know I was getting like crazy mom <laughs> <Yeah>. time and, <laughs> and it worked out and it was fine and she recovered you know but time difference is a big deal and not even just the long one sometimes a couple hours kind of ruins things yeah oh there's so much else I want to talk to you about but we are running out of time so can I just jump into two totally different topics sure problem. <laughs> how, how nimble is your mind feeling right now when you wrote to me you suggested different things that we could talk about and of course then last night I read so much of your other stuff and I just thought oh my gosh we could talk for four days but some of the things that you highlighted one of which was giving birth in the United States versus giving birth in Cape Town yeah since we've talked a lot about babies on this show unsuspectedly I don't think e either Tiffany or I ever thought that kids would become a major topic but maybe that's just becoming an adult <laughs> um but is there a way that you can compare the two experiences oh yeah i mean they were pretty much opposite and in my case the overseas experience was better i don't want to say that you can't have a great birth in america of course you can but for me what i really liked was i found a practice in cape town that allowed you to have what i consider the best of both worlds. So like a hospital setting, but with a, a completely midwife directed birth. So the doctor doesn't even show up unless there's some kind of urgent situation to attend to. And that ended up being an ideal situation for us. So I had a great birth labor it was only three hours. I had the midwife and I had a doula. Of course the Rand is, is weak against the dollar right now. So the whole thing was also a bargain which didn't hurt. And then I was in Cape Town, which I think is one of the most beautiful cities in the entire world. That was a wonderful place to bring our son in, into our family. So I really enjoyed it. I, I guess, you know, when I told my extended family, oh, we're having our baby in Africa, they get a little bit nervous. But then I, I would always follow that up with, well, we're going to have our baby in Cape Town, which is the site of the world's first heart transplant, you know, and for some reason that would make people feel a little bit better. They have all the medical technology. In fact, they're pioneers in some fields of medical technology. But 
I, I know there are places in America where you can do that too, where there's freestanding birth centers or birth centers in a hospital and you can kind of do both. When I was pregnant with my daughter, we were in Santa Barbara and they did not have that option. They didn't have a birth center at a hospital or a hospital that would allow the midwife to be in charge of the birth. I think that's too bad. I think that every woman should have, should be able to experience the best of both worlds and have the backup if she needs it and then just do it the sort of nat- more natural way if that's what she prefers, if she doesn't need it. Just in you talking about people's fears about you having a child in Africa, has your perspective or insight shifted as to why Americans tend to think that Africa is, I mean, it being an entire continent, mm-hmm. why do we consider it such a dangerous place overall as a generalization, <laughs> obviously? Yeah. I think that generally Americans have no idea about Africa. I, I certainly didn't before I moved here. I think it's always so attractive and appealing to define yourself in relation to the other. Like, we're this and they're that, and we're this and they're that. And for as long as I can remember anyway, Africa has, as a whole, has sort of represented everything that America isn't. It's wild and vast and just exotic and strange and unfamiliar. And so we have sort of a vested interest in keeping that stereotype alive. You can certainly find pictures of all of that, all of those things and poverty and so on. That, of course, it's here. But it's interesting to me how much Americans are invested in that view of Africa when Africa is so many different countries and different climates and geographies and peoples and cities and styles and from mangoes and tropical fruit in one region to an absolute desert where I live now where the cows and the beef industry is the biggest natural product it's a vast continent and it's so different and it's so much more developed than we picture you know sky with skyscrapers and luxury hotels and office buildings for some reason that africa which is a very real africa doesn't exist in the minds of most americans Hmm. in your particular spot when you were thinking of moving there or accepting the opportunity to move there were you worried I wasn't really, partly because we'd, we've been living in Pakistan where there are some legitimate safety concerns. The only thing I was worried about was that I was moving here with a baby. You know, our, our daughter wasn't quite one yet, and I was worried about hospital care. What if she wakes up in the night with a, you know, a strange cough? Or what if she, she has an accident and I need to call 911? You know, there's no 911. I was, that was the only thing I was worried about. And I felt better because Johannesburg is only about a 45-minute flight away, and they have you know, world-class hospitals there. So that made me feel better. In terms of the safety, Botswana is, if not the safest, one of the very safest countries in Africa. It's a very peaceful democracy. It's it's not a place where you need to worry about political unrest or violence. Or I'll be honest, the last six months with everything going on in the world, in America, gun control, violence in Europe, ISIS, terrorism, I sort of feel like this is the safest place I could possibly live, you know, in this little corner of the world tucked away in Southern Africa where no one's really paying attention to us. It hasn't been a bad place to be at all. Yeah. And well, and I do want to end by asking you about Pakistan. Was Pakistan a big contrast to your current experience or not? It was another place we find very scary. Yeah. And and I, I should say, I do think with a family, Pakistan would make me a little bit nervous just because, of the security situation, but I, we also loved living in Pakistan. I think it's, we were in Islamabad. It's a gorgeous city, wonderful people. I had great friends there. I didn't feel that unsafe when I was there, honestly. 
it might be just sort of what you tell yourself to not worry about things, but I, I didn't feel unduly in danger and I really enjoyed the work I was doing there and I really enjoyed the culture and the people and the natural beauty of, of that area. You know, it's sort of, it's like the beginning of where the Himalayas start. It's really gorgeous. People don't think of those things when they think of Pakistan either. They think of, unfortunately, the terrorism and different attacks that we see on the news. So uh, both places I've lived, I think both of them, Botswana, anywhere in Africa and Pakistan, those are probably one of the top two places I might say that Americans have no idea what it's really like to be here. And I wish that I could sort of parachute everyone in for a couple of days and show them around and say, it's not what you expected, is it? I guess we'll leave it there. But I would love to talk to you more about your time in Pakistan and maybe actually flesh it out a little bit more to get sure. an insider yeah. view. Since we have the Middle East in our news cycled so much of the time, and yeah. it's just so hard to really know what it's like to live on the ground there. So yeah, but we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Sarah Sullivan, she writes about expat life at outlandish.com. You'll find a link to that on our website. She also writes for the Wall Street Journal's expat blog, so you can look her up there as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. It was a blast. Had a good time. I'm Katie Sewell. This is The Bittersweet Life. Talk to you next week. Bye. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.